0: So I'm going to share with you what's in a name. And what do you think about when you hear Royal Rangers? And i tell you what I think about. I think about Carl Kelly. I think about uh, Chiefland, Florida. I think about 1974 when I discovered that we had such a thing called Royal Rangers. All those years we was over in our little church in Childersburg. And, and I think it was in place then, but we just didn't get the memo. So uh, I uh, went to uh, Carl Kelly, and I drove uh, 50 miles from Chiefland, Florida, to over our, to our, uh, Ocala. And uh, Carl Thompson trained us. We went for like 15 weeks in a row on Tuesday night, I believe it was. And uh, we finished LTC, leadership training. And I'm telling you what, these kids in chiefland I mean, they started chewing beechnut nut uh, at the age of six. You know, it was like... <laughs> They'd show up, they had that big old pack of, of Beech nuts, chewing tobacco. I mean, they didn't have McDonald's. All they had was chewing tobacco. So that's, you know, we said, well, wait a minute. A, a Royal Ranger is clean. He's clean in body, mind, and speech, and also in your mouth. You know, you shouldn't be chewing tobacco. But, it, you know, they just got, we got so many boys saved. And uh, as you see, this is the emblem of Royal Rangers. And this was all the, uh, the vision of Johnny Barnes when he created Royal Rangers as a discipleship ministry in the symbols of God. And you see, it's kind of have this uh, compass-like look to it. And that's by design. It's to tell Royal Rangers that the points of the compass needs to direct us to Jesus. That Jesus is the master ranger. Is that still the, the phrase that is used back there? Because I haven't been in rangers lately. I know that. Uh, is that right, Josh? He's still, I mean, uh, Sean, is that still the master ranger? Uh, Sean and uh, Paris, and I think Guillermo and Paul, some of these are the guys that help in Royal Rangers. But you see there's different points. There's Four gold points on this emblem. There's four red points, and there's eight blue points. And the four gold points match up Luke 2, where it says Jesus grew in four different ways. Um, And those four gold points, I don't want to get them mixed up. Mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially, that's the way they're enumerated how Jesus grew as a young boy, as a young man. The four red points are the four main teachings or the cardinal teachings of the church. And that's salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and second coming. We just kind of condensed it when I learned it is, uh Salvation, Holy Spirit, healing, and rapture. So they've kind of like defined it a little bit more. And the eight blue points are the eight points of the Ranger Code. Alert, clean, honest, courageous, loyal, courteous, obedient, spiritual. And I didn't even look down for that, so... That's all right. My mind is still kind of working here. So, but but this is this is what Royal Rangers is all about. I want to take you back to those four red points: salvation, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, healing, and the and the soon return of Jesus, the rapture, the second coming of the Lord. all of those are personified in one person, and that person is Jesus. He is Savior. He is the healer. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I was, I was in front of uh, two ladies at Sam's at the, at the world's cheapest lunch, you know, <laughs> and, and it's amazing how many retired people go there. You know, I, there's a bunch of retirees. Uh, you know, and I, I'm old enough to be a retiree, so I fit in. But the, one, one of those ladies had a hat on and said, Jesus inside. And so we just kind of had a little church service there. I said, Jesus inside? Really? She says, oh, yeah. Jesus inside of me, and he's coming back. I said, yes, and it can't happen too sooner for me. And boy, we just kind of got a little happy there (laughs) waiting for our cheap hot dog. You know, and and, uh, the reason we believe that, the one reason we believe Jesus is coming back, what is the one reason why we believe he's coming back? He said so. He said so. It doesn't matter what your eschatology is. He said he's coming back. And that's all we need. We don't know when, but there's no doubt in our mind that it's going to happen. Because that's our trust in what he said. But I want to take you to this thing about healing. We can spend a number of, uh, of points here. But the name Jesus, what's in the name? What is in the name of Jesus? Well, it literally is the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua, and it means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is the Savior. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And part of his salvation dips over into healing. Um... And I want to take you to the book of Acts here because things begin to happen as Jesus hands the disciples, the apostles, the leadership of what he started. And he even said this. He said, I'm going to give you this ministry. And I'm going to give you the comforter to help you so that you won't be left as orphans. That's exact wording. And John, he said, I'm not going to leave you. Uh, without help as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to empower you to do my work in the earth. And so it does not take long to see things begin to happen. The baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's a man, a crippled man healed and then there's a bunch of other people that get saved and then the, the, the apostles are persecuted because of that. And they're interrogated and you find these words in Acts chapter 4 when they talk about the power of the name of Jesus because they were saying, how did you do this? How did you make this crippled man? What did you do? What kind of scheme is this? And so they were throwing all of this, pressing them that they had to, something had to give here. And this is what they said in verse 10. And then this... You know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. By that name, this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind, whereby we must be saved. He said it is by the name of Jesus this man has been made well. Now Luke's record in the gospel, he starts by telling Theophilus, he says, I've researched the life of Jesus and I'm going to give you a little bit of a composite of what he did and what he said. And so he goes over the sequel to that is the book of Acts. And and here's the church that, listen... You could say the, what is the official title of the book of Acts? Acts of the Apostles. But it could really be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Working through the Apostles. So here's the book of Acts, and it's recording how Jesus is being manifested in people's lives. And, and the church is not the focus of Acts. It is Christ that is the focus of Acts as he works through the Holy Spirit in these men. Peter preached a, a dynamic message in Acts 2, and he, he referenced that Christ was crucified and was raised from the dead, and he referenced it again in chapter 4 when he's given a defense of the healing of this man. But if you go to Acts 10, Peter's preaching again, but he's preaching reluctantly on this day because he's in a, the home of a Gentile, and he's pretty much had his arm twisted behind his back, to convince him that you've got to go and preach to Cornelius and these Gentiles because this is my purpose. It's not just to save Jewish people. It is to save Gentile people. And when you look at Acts 10, beginning with verse 36, Peter's preaching this message and, and knowing that he's doing this like being pressed to do this by the Lord. The Lord would not let him off the hook on this. And he said to them, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing All who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. And later on he says, All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What is in a name? In the name of Jesus there is forgiveness, there is healing. And as soon as he made those statements, the Holy Spirit was released in that house with no one laying hands on them, no one praying for them, no one having an altar call. There was. It was while he was still preaching, the Holy Spirit invaded that house and invaded every person sitting there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Because the name of Jesus was being promoted. The name of Jesus was being presented. And in Him, there is salvation, there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there's healing, and there's the promise of His return. Last week uh, in your class was a great lesson on Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus read from Isaiah 61. But also one of the great chapters in Isaiah is Isaiah 53. And it's the chapter from which Mel Gibson produced his movie, The Passion of the Christ. And in that, you know, there's a, there's a fancy term in Bible college called hermeneutics. It's actually a course. And it's just a big word meaning how to interpret Scripture. And the reason why we have so many different denominations is because we all interpret some Scripture differently. You know, we have these nuances. It's the same book. It says, how, how can we have one Bible and all these different angles to it and taste of church and how worship is done and how singing is done and how everything is done. It's just because how we apply what we study in God's Word. But here's a basic rule of hermeneutics. When there is an opportunity for the Bible to interpret itself, go with that. And Isaiah 53 is one of those places where the Bible interprets what Isaiah wrote... In Isaiah 53, here's the passage I'm going to take you to. It's Isaiah 53, 4. You're very familiar with this, but here's, here's the hermeneutic of some churches. When they read this, they are saying that the wounds of Jesus or the stripes of, of Jesus is for the healing of your soul. It's, it's salvation. It's not talking about physical healing. And this is why, this is where one of these, it's open to how you think it applies, it says the same thing, but it's how you apply it. Now stay with me, just if you're in Isaiah 53, just stay with me right there because we're going to take a longer look at this. Surely he, referring to the suffering Messiah, this is, the, the suffering Messiah is the entire focus of Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. If you just looked on the cross, people would say, man, he must have done something really bad. But that's not what was going on there, was it? If you looked at him and says, what, what a sad commentary of a person's life. But something else was going on. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So, Somebody can look at that and says, Well, that means healing of diseases, but it doesn't say it there, it just says and we are healed. Does that mean it just he just heals our soul? Well, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 8. Because this is one occasion where a writer hundreds of years later puts a slant on Isaiah 53 4 that's unmistakable what Isaiah is talking about. You'll find these words in Matthew 8, verse 16. And you ought to, you know, turn the corner of the page on this or underline this or put a star next So whatever you do to highlight passages in Scripture because this is really remarkable. Now, this the context of this is in Capernaum where Peter's hometown and and his uh, mother-in-law's house, and she's sick, and they're at her house. Jesus and the disciples are at her home. She's sick. He goes back to where she's in bed, and he heals her. And she gets up and begins to prepare food for everyone. And right after that, before the day was over, word was out. So here comes all of these people to this house, because word got out that there's healing taking place there. And if you were sick and you was within walking distance, would you kind of go there? Yeah. yeah. So there's a, just an influx of people. And this is what he says. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, are you still in question as to what Isaiah was saying? If you are, you shouldn't be. Because Matthew was saying this was happening because this was prophesied. That Jesus would do these sort of things. It's a direct reference to Isaiah 53, 4. And you look down in John 3, 8, and John says this, that the purpose that the Son of God appeared and came was to destroy the works of the evil one, the devil. It's obvious that Jesus came to confront the evil world. Demons and, and evil spirits and sickness. And on one occasion, a woman was bent over. She was uh, kind of locked in with, with her back being locked in. And Jesus, when he healed her, referenced that it was Satan that had put this on this woman. And then it was time for his hold on her to be broken. And that's what he came to do. And it involves, yes... Jesus involves the healing of our souls, but he also involves the healing of diseases, the healing of bondages. We all realize that sin is a bondage maker, isn't it? Sin, what's it saying? Sin costs more than you're willing to pay, stays longer than you're willing for it to stay, and and uh, what's the other? But sin is a deception, and that's why it locks people in when... You know, this—the the, just like the fruit in the garden looked appealing to Eve, but it was a deception. It was once she gave in to that, then the bondage locked in. And he came to destroy that bondage. Back in the 1950s, there was a, a pastor of a small church in Pennsylvania, a similar God Church, watching the news, the evening news. And the news came from New York City that these several members of a gang that had killed... One or more of another gang were on trial for murder. And while this pastor was watching that, he heard distinctly God speak to him that he needed to go to New York City and to reach out to those young men. And so he did. David Wilkerson left, went to New York City, walked into the courtroom, and was actually arrested because he wanted to talk to the judge about these young men. And, you know, they ended up not arresting him because he had the Bible. And he said, I'm here to help these young men. And, And even though that did not go well, while he was there, the door began to open in New York City. This gang culture, this heroin culture, drug culture, all of this, the door began to open just slightly... For him to be able to begin to minister to people, and of course, he was rejected. You know, this is a country preacher from Pennsylvania. He doesn't know how things operate in a big city of 8 million people at that time, New York City. And, and yet, God put him right there, the cross and the switchblade. If you've never seen the movie, you need to you need to buy it. You need to just get it and watch it. Nicky Cruz, Erica Strata plays the part of Nicky Cruz, but... It's the story of of God breaking into a culture that the authorities would tell you there's no help for them. They will die. They will die in the gangs and they will die from heroin overdose. This is the only way they get out is to be killed or to die from their own drug use. And yet God began to do miracles in people's lives there was no teen challenge later it was established teen challenge but those first addicts that he ministered to they were delivered simply through intercessory prayer during the night god began to set one young lady named maria was set free from heroin addiction because they just interceded there was there was no possibility the street said if you get addicted to heroin it's only a matter of time that you die from it, but you will never, ever get off of it. It's impossible to get off of heroin addiction. And here's this young lady. She gets off of heroin addiction. And yet she finds herself later in a compromise situation. And her drug supply supplier sees the opportunity to offer her a free heroin fix. And in her moment, she takes it. And she waits for the high to kick in. And it never does. And then she accused the guy of giving her something that wasn't heroin. Well, he didn't take that too kindly. But the news got out on the street. She's been delivered from heroin. There were people, when he started ministering to people, like that, there were people that would drive their young people up, and dropped them off out of luxury cars and said, we can't do anything with them. See if you can. And one by one, Nicky Cruz, of course, was probably the most famous of those because he was a warlord and, and he was such a, a man of bitterness and, and he had killed other gang members. And, and like when Nicky Cruz got saved, it was on. Because God was healing people, not just their souls but their bodies. Because heroin addiction, you're not supposed to be able to get off of it. Even today, there's no help for a heroin addict except to give them substitutes to help depress the urge to shoot up. Here's the interesting thing about Teen Challenge. I want to show you this graphic. And this... Is Teen Challenge centers in Europe, in Africa, in Russia, the Middle East, India, the Davises, Noah of the one in Mumbai, and there's multiple. I think there's some in. Uh, I don't see Sri Lanka there, but I think maybe now there's one in Sri Lanka, right? And and it's just why are why are countries multiple ones in Russia? Why, why are these Teen Challenge Centers just erupting in places in the world? Because countries don't have an answer. And some of them are not Christian countries. They're, they're, uh, it's really kind of weird that they, they know when they come in that our one dynamic that's different than anyone else is, is the Jesus factor. We introduce them to Jesus. He is the healer of not only their souls, but of their bodies as well. And they still do not use any medical treatments. It's intercessory prayer. Believing for the power of God. Laying hands on them. Rebuking the withdrawal. Staying with them until God delivers them. And He delivers them. So much so. That a a woman who was not a Christian did a research on Teen Challenge years ago wanting to know why is the success rate so high she discovered that the cure rate the cure rate for Teen Challenge meaning this those who've been out of the program for five years or longer are still clean. They're not addicts. They haven't went back. Teen Challenge cure rate is around 80%. The best the government has is down almost in single digits. The Jesus factor. What he said in Isaiah, he is the healer. He bore the pain of all of these addicts. He bore their hopelessness. Their despair because it's in their mind when they're hooked, they just think that there's no help for me. There's no relief for me. There's no way out for me other than to die. And there's a lot of people that's not even hooked on heroin. They they just have that kind of hopelessness that's engulfed their life. And Jesus heals hopelessness too, doesn't he? There is healing in the name of Jesus. We just had a song, there is power in the name of Jesus. But you could put this in. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. There is ultimate healing in the name of Jesus. Here's the thing. Truth can stand alone without any emotion. Truth will be there no matter what emotion you have. And we should never... We should never base truth out of our experiences. We should always examine Our experience is based on what is true. And what is true is we serve a great Savior. We serve a mighty Savior who's mighty to save and mighty to heal. And he can deliver you. See, there's more maladies than just physical illness. There's mental illness. There's depression. There's anxieties. There's fear. Do you know the biggest enemy of fear... Is faith? We might say it's peace. It's not peace. It's faith, because when you can trust someone, you don't have any fear about what will happen. Peace comes as a byproduct of placing trust in the Lord. You now I'm speaking from experience, because as a young father, I I had an absolutely unhealthy fear of something happening. To our children, to the point that Brenda would say, You know, you this is not good. You know, you keep calling the babysitter and you say, Are they okay? And and she just like, this is not healthy. This is not good for you. He said, I feel great about where they're at. And I said, Well, I'm glad you do, but I don't. But I really had to reckon, why am I why am I so afraid? And this is what the Lord this is how the Lord delivered me. He spoke so clearly to me one day, he says, Who protects them when they're with you? You think you protect them? You think you can make sure nothing happens to them? I said, wow, I didn't think of it that way. And there's people who are carrying fears. People who are carrying a depressed, they're trying to just get through the day and just get through the week and and just make it. I want to tell you, there's healing for you. There's healing for you. He didn't come just to save our souls. He came to heal our minds. There's, you know, I, our son has MS. And there's, I, I guess they say there's no cure for MS. He's got three lesions on his brain. Thankfully, he doesn't have any more since his first MRI that they diagnosed him with MS. He's, he's in his 30s. And so we pray for Sean. But I'm beginning to say, Lord, you're the healer of MS. They may not have an answer for MS, but you have an answer. The world may not have an answer for dementia, but God has an answer for dementia. To heal our, the tissue of our brain, the cerebral functions of our brain, I just believe that we need to begin to trust God and call out to God and not just accept things as though they cannot be changed. Jesus is the great changer. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I'd like for you guys that I gave some oil to to come up and just stand here with me. And we're going we're gonna to pray for people. I had, I had someone, even during the service, said, I need prayer. Because there's, there's been a death in that family. Does the Lord... Help us with grief? Sure. So I want you to come and stand in front of one of these three stations and we're going to believe God to heal you. Or if you come and stand in place of someone, Lord, I pray right now that we just wouldn't walk away and accept what is going on as the final word. That we would step through our despair And say, I want to trust you, Lord. I want to see a breakthrough. I want to see a change in a situation. I need to see a breakthrough, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, if it's just a mustard seed size faith that we would exercise it this morning. And just put our confidence and trust in you and say, Lord, heal me. Heal my family. Heal my son, my daughter, deliver from addiction those that I am close to. Bring deliverance and freedom to their lives. Heal their homes. Heal their marriage. Whatever the malady may be, it may be something so psychological there's no really description, but Lord, there's a pressure upon that person that you want to release and you want to bring peace and healing. We just give you... Trust today to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.